Okay, let's pray. Father Lord, we thank you this morning for the gift of life, for strength, for protection, and for granting us the opportunity to even meet this morning to study your word. We pray that even as we are about to study your word, you grant us understanding and insights that the end it shall be unto your glory, that our lives would reflect that which is in your word and that all these things you are learning will prepare us as a church as a bride for your second coming that we might be a bride that is without spots nor blemish in jesus name we pray thanksgiving amen okay so you are all welcome once again and um today we are going to look at matthew chapter um 24. okay so um last week we looked at matthew chapter 21 22 and then 23 rather yeah so this week we are going to look at matthew 24. okay let me share my screen Okay, so I think last week we talked about um, several things, including <clears throat> the questions that Christ was asked by the um, the Pharisees and then the Sadducees. Okay, and we understood that um, they actually came to test him. Okay, and they asked him three important questions. The first questions, the first question was actually. Um, whether it was lawful for them to pay tributes or not. And Jesus um, told them that they should give unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and they should also render unto God the things which belong to God. Okay, and we looked at the parallelism between the coin and what Christ was actually saying by that, okay? And we saw that the coin had the image of Caesar on and by implication, and we understood that we have become the coins of God, meaning that we also have the image of Christ um, in us because we are made in the image and likeness of God. So then what we should render to God is our whole being, every aspect of our life must be rendered unto God. Okay, and the second question was by the Sadducees who, as we saw, did not believe in um they did not believe in resurrection okay they didn't believe in angels nor spirits and re resurrection so they came to speak to christ about the concept of resurrection and they asked him um specific um question about what i described as the leverite's rule okay that if um, someone uh, marries and dies without giving birth and the person i mean the wife remarries okay in heaven whose wife is um, the woman going to be and jesus answered them that in heaven there was no marriage okay and we also saw um that he answered them by saying that the proof that there is resurrection is that i am the god of abraham the god of isaac and the god of jacob now the question is how does this statement 
um, imply that there is resurrection because the Sadducees are asking Christ for proof of resurrection and Christ is answering them by saying that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, and we saw that the meaning of that statement meant that Abraham, Jacob, and then Isaac, okay, were actually with God because if not so, he would have used the sentence, I was the God of Abraham, um, Isaac, and Jacob. Okay, but he using the word I am implies that they are still there because he ended by saying that for God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, okay? And one thing we also learned from that was um, God boosting that I am the God of Abraham, okay? That implies that Abraham has done something that God is proud to say, to associate himself with, okay? And I gave us an instruction that before we leave this world, before we die, okay, um, one priority or one one of our aims in life is that God should be able to say, I am the God of rights. I'm the God of Angela or I'm the God of, of Adams, okay? And then we also looked at the third question where they asked Christ about what was the greatest commandments um, of the law. We looked at all that. And Matthew chapter 23, Christ spends that whole chapter talking about the Pharisees, okay? The eight rules of the of the Pharisees, and we looked at all those things. And that now brings us to Matthew chapter 24. And in Matthew chapter 24, we are going to um, discuss the, the concept of um, eschatology, okay? And that is the study of the end times, okay? And we will look at why it's important to, to study the end times, okay. And um, before I, I move on, and um, please, Angela, I'm, I'm making you the host so that you can admit the people for me. Yes, please. Great. So let's look at um, what is happening over here in Matthew chapter 24. There are 51 verses over here. And each verse is very, very important. And we are going to see why each each of those verses are very important there are 51 verses okay and um, i want us to see why these verses are important okay so let's begin um verse one and jesus went out and departed from the temple and his disciples came to him okay for to show him the buildings of the temple so these people actually um when you look at Matthew 22 and 23, okay, that discourse that I, I summarized, okay, was occurring in the temple. So after that discourse, Jesus went out of the temple, okay, and the disciples came to him to show him the beauty of the temple. Now, when you study that temple that they, they, they were, I mean, um, was built in Jerusalem at that time, okay, now that temple was actually the rebuilt temple of the temple that Solomon built, okay. So we know Solomon built that temple. And then Nebuchadnezzar and the people of Babylon came to destroy that temple, okay? And they took the, the Israelites, that's the southern kingdom, into captivity, into Babylon. Okay, then they came back um, under Nehemiah and then um, Ezra to come and rebuild the, the temple and then the, the walls of Jerusalem, respectively, okay? So that temple that we are, we are talking about now is the rebuilt temple, okay? And then when you read the Bible very well, 
um, the glory of that temple was not comparable to that which Solomon built. Okay, that which Solomon built was more glorious than this temple that we are talking about. So this is the second temple. Okay, and later on, as as we move on in the in the study, I'm going to tell you that um, 40 years after this discussion, that is Matthew 24. What is going on here? 40 years later, that is AD 70. That temple was destroyed again. Okay, and we will we'll go into details. Okay, so now they came to, to show Jesus or to tell Jesus about how glorious the temple was. Okay, in fact, um, I, I did some study of, of, of the temple, and um, what's what, one amazing thing about the temple was the presence of certain heavy stones. Okay, the stones were about 45 cubits. Okay, and when you read the Bible, you'll be hearing that term cubit. Okay, that term cubit is actually the distance from your from your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. Okay, that is one cubit. Okay, so when you say 45, those are stones, or 45 um, um, cubit length of stones, okay, about about uh, seven or so of them. Okay, very nice, decorated. Okay, now let's see what Jesus is going to tell them in verse two. And Jesus said unto them, see ye not all these things, okay? Verily I say unto you, there shall not be left one of these stones upon another. Okay, that shall not be thrown down. So now Jesus is telling them, he's now beginning um, prophesying, okay? He's telling them that these beautiful stones that you are seeing, he's assuring them that in the next 40 years, that is AD 70, you can, you, you can check it up, AD 70, the temple of Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. So he was telling them that these beautiful stones that you are seeing, okay, not one of them is going to be, 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 how do you call it, be left. They are all going to be pulled down and destroyed by the Romans. Okay, so that is the first prophecy over here. Now, the next things we are, we are going to look at, okay, what, what I want you to understand is that this is what, what a principle we call the double application of prophecy. Now, the double application of prophecy means that, you see, while Jesus is saying that the temple is going to be destroyed, okay, I, I want you to have two views of it, okay? And they are all applicable. One view is that uh, of what was going to happen in the next 40 years, okay? That has happened in the past, okay? That AD 70, that happened. But of course, as I said, this scene is in AD 30. So the, the first fulfillment of the prophecy was going to be in AD 70, which is 40 years after, okay? And the next fulfillment of this prophecy is going to be at the end times, okay? So I want you to always have this, this view. What is called the double application of prophecy, okay? One application of it is that, of, or, or, I mean, it's actually what was going to happen in the short term, okay? And for us in this dispensation, okay, that has already happened. And it was recorded, um, in, I mean, AD 70, okay? When you read the, the writings of um, Josephus and, and other people, you realize that all those things were recorded, okay? But there's going to be the second fulfillment of this prophecy in the end times, okay? So I want us to have it. So everything you read over here, look at it in two folds, one which was fulfilled in AD 70 and one which is yet to be fulfilled so that you have a, a whole understanding of, of, of this passage, okay? Because what happened in AD 70, okay, is going to repeat when we, as we approach the end times. Very, very critical. Okay, now we are we are looking at the study of the, the subject of eschatology. Now, the, as I said, eschatology is the study of the end times. Okay, now um, I've not gone to a Bible school, okay, but I have read a lot of the, the theology books. Okay, 
And anytime you take any proper system, I mean, systematic theology textbook, okay, or you realize that they arrange the topics orderly, okay, so that, I mean, um, you, you, can, you, you, you can appreciate it, okay. So the first, when you look at the books, I've looked at several of them, you said they arrange it very nicely, okay. They will first talk about theology, which is actually God himself, okay, the attributes and nature of God, okay. That is, that is theology in itself, okay. Then we'll go to Christology, which is the study of Christ, and then the reincarnation of, of, of Christ, okay, the duality, that is Christ being God and Christ being man, okay, that is Christology. Then we go to pneumatology, that is the study of the Holy Spirit and his um, rule, okay. So after knowing this, that, that's the Godhead, okay, so these three, we call, we, we call the study of this, the Trinity, the study of the Trinity, okay, threefolds. Then we will come to the study of salvation, which is um, um, soteriology, okay, that is, we are going to look at um, every good um, systematic theology book must have soteriology, which is the study of salvation, which includes justification, sanctification, and glorification. Okay, so they will go into details of all that. Okay, every good systematic theology book must contain what is called um, ecclesiology. Okay, ecclesiology is the, is the study of the church. Okay, so we must look at the, the, the study of the church as being the bride, the body. And then the, the building or the temple of Christ. Okay. Every good theology book must have um, what is called um, um, hermeneutics. Okay. Hermeneutics is the study of, of interpretation. Okay. How they interpret uh, the scriptures. Okay. And then um, it also has um, what is called eschatology, where eschatology is the study of the end times. Okay. The end times prophecies. Okay. And then the very good ones who include Israelology, which is the study of Israel from the time they went into Egypt in the Old Testament. So what is happening now, okay? All the dates and everything that has happened over there because Israel, as we know, is the timeline of God. Okay, when you look, study Israel very well, you can be able to predict how God is dealing with us in this dispensation, okay? So that is the, the composition of every good um, theology books, okay, including church history, okay, and th that will complete it up, okay. Now, we are, we, are, we are zooming into the section which is called eschatology, which is the, the study of the end times, okay. Now, when you, when you study eschatology very well, you realize that, I mean, there are different views, okay, and what I'm going to do now is to let you know the various views, okay, of the interpretation of what is going to happen in the end times, okay. Um, um, of course, I, I have what I, I believe, okay, but I'm not going to impose it on you. I'm going to show you the various views, okay? Then um, I'll leave you to choose which, whichever one um, um, you, you, you think is, is right, okay? So that just sets us up for, for eschatology. Now let's go to verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, now this Mount of Olives um, is also called the Olivet, okay? Mount Olivet, okay? So because of that, Matthew 24 is called the Olivet Discourse. Now, those who joined us from the beginning, when you are doing Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, okay, the, the, the Sermon on the Mountain, okay, we, we said that was the first discourse. The second discourse of Christ, or the second major discourse of Christ was when he was um, talking about uh, the parable. That's Matthew chapter 13, okay. And Matthew chapter 24 is what is called the Olivet Discourse, which is the third major important discourse of Christ. 
And the fourth discourse is what is called the upper room discourse, which is recorded in the book of John. Okay, John, when you read John chapter 17, 18, and 19, that's what's called the upper room discourse. Okay, now we are looking at the third important discourse, which is called the Olivet discourse. And it's called Olivet discourse because it occurred in Mount Olivet. Okay, now Mount Olivet is a very important mountain. Okay, and it's noted for three major things that I mean, we are looking at. The first one is this, this prophecy, okay, this eschatological sermon by Christ. And the second one is when Christ was ascending up, okay, when Christ was ascending, he um, actually um, um, ascended up on this mountain, Mount Olivet, okay. And you realize that when you read the book of Acts, it will tell you that while Jesus ascended, okay, two angels came down, okay, and they told the apostles that, or those that were with Christ, that just as you've seen Christ ascend in that same manner, okay, he shall descend. So this has also led to a teaching that Christ would, the, the, the second coming of Christ, actually, he will descend on Mount Olivet, okay? So these are three important things that you should know about Mount Olivet. So... We are, we are talking about this mountain now. Let's, let's, let's continue. Where are we? Verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him to ask him three questions, okay? So one, tell us when these things shall be. Because he told them that they, they were going to destroy the temple, okay? So one, they wanted to know when the temple destruction was coming, okay? And two, what shall be the sign of thy coming? That means that they wanted him to tell um, them the sign of his coming, okay? Of his second coming. And then the end of the world. <laughs> so they are, they are asking him three questions. One, what, what's going to be a sign that the temple is going to be destroyed or Jerusalem is going to be destroyed? Two, the sign of your second coming. And three, the sign of the end of the world. Okay, so you see, mo most people don't like studying this part because, I mean, they don't understand, okay? But um, I, I didn't want to go into details, but I realized that, I mean, most of us are students, okay? And the fact that they are teaching us complex things in class doesn't mean that we, we, we are not going to study, okay? We have to also go for the complex things. So we are, we are going to learn this thing very well, okay? We have 30 minutes more. I'll try my best and, and do as much as I can, okay? Now, let's see what's going to happen. Now, let's see the, the, the response of Christ. And Jesus answered and said unto them, take heed that no man deceive you. So this was his um, response. His first response was that of deception. Because when it comes to these eschatology and these signs of the second coming of Christ and the end of the world, there are going to be a lot of deception. Okay, so the first warning he gave them was that, take heed that no man deceive you. Five. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, <laughs> and shall deceive many. Okay, now what I want us to pick over here is that now he's giving us the first sign, okay, of the end time. Now, as I said, we are, we are looking at, because he's going to answer these three questions, okay, but he's not specifying which of them was going to show the destruction of Jerusalem, which of them was going to show his second coming, or which of them was, was going to show the end of the world, okay? He's going to put everything together and answer them, okay? So we must try and distinguish which of them answers which of the three questions, okay? So now, the verse 5 is answering the question, when shall be your, I mean, what's, what shall be the sign of thy coming, okay? And he said that, first of all, don't, don't allow anyone to deceive you, okay? And the second one is that many shall come in my name, saying that I am Christ, okay? 
and shall deceive many. Okay. And the second thing was that you shall hear of wars and, and rumors of wars. Okay. And see that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass. Okay, but the end is not. Okay, so now he's telling them that if, if you read it carefully, you notice that he's saying that um you shall hear of wars, rumors of wars. Okay, don't be troubled. Okay, but the end is not yet. Okay, because so he's saying that this sign that he's giving them is not the sign of the end time. Remember that I'm saying that. Okay, he's he's answering three questions. Okay, one of them the sign of his second coming and the sign of the end time. Okay, and he's telling them in verse six that when many come in his name, okay, and when people hear of wars and rumors of war, okay, that might indicate his second coming rather, but not the end, the the end. Okay, so we should be very very careful of that. Okay, now when you read history, you notice that from the time Jesus gave this instruction, okay. So about the 17th century, about 24 people have publicly come to claim that they are they are Christ. Now remember that the, the Jews, as, as we all know, okay, they didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. So even up to now, they are waiting for the Messiah. Okay, so Christ is telling them that many shall come um, saying that they are, I mean, they are the Christ, okay? Now, there are, there are some people that have come, as I said, to proclaim publicly that they are Christ, okay? And you shall see um, someone like Simon Magus. Okay, there is someone who came. He's called Simon Magus. Okay, and other people. Okay, I mean, there is even someone called Dostitutes. Okay, Dostitutes. He also came saying that he was the Messiah. Okay, that is one implication of the verse five. And shall deceive many. Now, in our dispensation, we don't see people coming to say that I am Christ or I'm Messiah. Okay, but I'm going to give you another meaning of the verse five. He said, many shall come in my name, saying that I am Christ and shall deceive many. Another implication of this verse, which can be applied to our dispensation, is that many shall come, okay, in the name of Christ, pointing actually that Christ, that Jesus is Christ. So they are not saying that they are Christ, okay, but they are saying that, okay, Jesus is Christ, but they are false prophets anyway. So you notice that in our dispensation, you, you see a lot of people doing things in the name, in the name of Jesus, okay? But actually, it, it is not the Jesus we know, okay? It, I mean, um, I, I read somewhere that, or I, I heard somewhere that, okay, that there is someone whose juju power is called Christ. So when, when he's praying, he, he, and he has a church, okay? When he's praying, he said that in the name of Christ, it's not the Christ that you, you think we know, okay? He, the person has come in the name of Christ, but actually it's not from Christ, okay? So that is that is one implication of, of the verse five. Okay, aside those that publicly came declaring that they were Christ. Okay, there is also another view that we should we should look at, and we looked at the walls and then the rumors of walls. Okay, of course, when when we look um, through history, we can see that there have been a lot of wars. Okay, even before Christ and after Christ, a lot a lot of conflict and wars are happening. Okay, even um. I mean, even before the COVID came, we saw Israel, Syria, you see all those kind of America, all those kind of wars, they are still happening, okay? But he's saying that, relax, okay? That, that is not the end. The end has not yet come. Verse 7, for nations shall rise against nations, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famine, there shall be pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. All these things are things we are seeing now. Let's look at the verse 7. There have been famine, Pestilence. Now, pestilence talks about pests or infectious diseases. Okay, and 
this this is a, a critical period where COVID has come to show us that this is actually true. Okay, pestilence, earthquakes. Some time ago, there, there was an earthquake in Accra or something, and people were afraid. Earthquakes. Okay, when you go to other countries, there are a lot of them in diverse places. Okay, now let's hold on to this and let's go to Revelation chapter six. Now, if if we are really careful about all that we are doing so far, from the verse five coming, okay, we've seen several things, okay, which are going to show that, um, or, or which are going to indicate the second coming of Christ. Okay, one of them is false prophets. The second one is wars and rumors of war. And I want you to take the arrangements seriously. One, false prophets, okay, or false Christ, or what is called, what we will call pseudo-Christ, okay, or false Christ. Two, wars and rumors of wars, okay. Three, niche, I mean, all the nations rising against nations, they are all wars, okay. Famine, pestilence, earthquake. So let me go over it again. False Christ, okay, wars, famine, pestilence, earthquakes, okay. Now, let, let's look at this. Now, look at the arrangement very well, and let's go to Revelation 6. Now, Revelation 6, okay, is John himself also receiving another prophecy about the end times, okay. In Matthew 24, we've seen um, Jesus telling us what was going to happen, okay. And of course, I'm sure John was part of the, the people, okay. Now, in Revelation 6, we saw that John has been taken up to heaven. He's been shown what was going to happen in the end times. And once again, Christ was the one giving the revelation. Okay. And he's telling John again. Now, let, let's look at verse 2 going. And behold, I saw a white horse. Okay. And someone was sitting on that white horse. Okay. People think this white horse represents Christ. But no, this is a false Christ. Okay. So now this verse 2 corresponds to the first one, which is um, the rise of people coming in Christ. And that is false Christ. Okay. That is verse 2. Verse 3. Okay, when you go to verse 4, um, we, shall, we are seeing that. Verse 4 is saying that there was another horse which was red, okay? And then um, power was given to him to take peace from the earth. So that's talking about war and rumors of war, which corresponds to the second one that we, we looked at. Of course, look at the arrangements very well, okay? Okay. Then we, we go on to, I mean, um, we, we, we can go to verse 6. Verse 6 is saying that, um, a measure of wheat for penny. That means that, and there shall be three measures of barley for penny, okay? So he's talking about food. So here he say, he's saying that there's going to be famine, which also corresponds to what we saw in Matthew chapter 22. Let's go to verse 7. And then verse, um, let, let's cut verse um, 8. Okay. Um, and then, let me see if there's... And let's look at verse 8. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, his name was Death. Okay, and power was given to him to kill one-fourth of the people on, on the earth, okay, with hunger and, and with death and with the beast of the earth. So here he's talking about pestilence, okay, something that can come and kill about one-fourth of, 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 of the people here. We are, we are looking at pestilence over here, okay. And then um, there's, there's another one. Where is the earthquake? There's, part, there's the last one with earthquake. Okay, verse 12. And I beheld, and when he opened this, the seat um, seal, lo, there was a great earthquake. Okay. Now, verse 13 is saying that the stars, okay, I, I, I will emphasize the, the verse 13 later on. Okay, when we go back to 24. So 
you you see the arrangement okay if, if you don't take care you, you just read it um, anyhow but um, as i said when you compare the verse 24 to revelation you realize that even how he arranges them is, is very critical to 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 follow he's giving us some insight okay let's let, let's go on verse um, eight and all these things are the beginning of source okay so he's saying that that is not even so what we are seeing now is not source okay it's the beginning now that phrase beginning of source in the greek implies um what is called um, um uterine contraction okay so when a woman is in labor the first few faces okay you know she thinks that it's painful but it's telling her that something worse is coming Okay, that is the, the Greek rendering of the verse 8. Okay, uh -huh. verse 9. Then shall they del deliver you up to be afflicted, and you shall be killed, and you shall be hated. Okay, all the nations for my name's sake. Okay, so now this verse 9 is a short term prophecy. Okay, that the disciples were going to be afflicted, killed. Okay, of course, we saw Peter, James, John, uh, although some of them were in prisons, in prison, others were killed, and so forth. Okay, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Okay, I'm not going to detail. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Of course, here we are seeing it now. Now, there are some countries that you can't even say you're a Christian that they are going to kill. That hatred said you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Okay, let's go on verse 11. And many false prophets shall arise and shall deceive many. Of course. It's clear in this dispensation. Okay, and because of iniquity shall, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall was cold. But he that endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. I don't want to explain this verse, okay? I'll, we, we, we will look at it another time. Verse 14, and that is something I want to emphasize, okay? And this kingdom, and this, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached unto all the world for witness unto all. All nations, and then the end will come. So now he's telling us, what's what is the proof that the end will come? The proof that the end will come is when the gospel of the kingdom is preached unto all nations. Look at it, all nations. Now the first question is, what is what is the meaning of the gospel of the kingdom? Now the gospel of the kingdom is different from the gospel of salvation. Okay, the gospel of salvation is, is what we preach. Oh, Jesus died, and then all those kind of things. But when you talk about the the gospel of the kingdom, here. We are looking at a certain form of gospel, okay, which is not only preached by math, okay. It's not only preached with with math, okay. The kingdom is talking about, as I said, the reign of Christ, the Christ, okay, the the rulership of Christ, the royalty of Christ, the power of Christ, okay. That is the kingdom, and the church represents the kingdom of God. So what he is saying here, you can look at it in two ways, as in. So does it mean that we are going to preach to everyone in this world before the end comes? Well, I don't know. Okay, but what I know from this implication is that from the concept of the kingdom, okay, what's going to happen is that everyone in the world shall see or hear of the church that there are a sect of people that is coming up in power. Now, this, this is going to be very, very critical. As I said, God is rebuilding his kingdom. Okay, and when God is done with it, the kingdom of God is going to exhibit tremendous power, okay? And amidst all these um, things that are, are going to be hap I mean, happening in these times, okay, the church is not going to suffer. Now, if you've watched carefully and looked at it critically, okay, when, when this coronavirus came, okay, now the question I'm asking 
is that why is that the mortality in Africa is not as that in other places? If it's the same virus, okay, of course, you can say that, oh, blacks, we have strong immunity. But when you go to the US, the blacks are the ones dying more. Okay, now it's the gospel of the kingdom. They are going to see it and they are going to be amazed. Now they are doing a lot of research to investigate why Africans are not dying, okay? But what, what I'm saying now is that because the kingdom is now centered in Africa, whatever is happening on, on, around the world is not going to touch us because we are going to exhibit power. We are going to exhibit power, okay? We are, we are going to show forth the Christ we said. And that's going to be the, the kingdom. And it's going to be preached because, we are, and as I said, it's not only verbal preaching, but people are going to see that. Why is, why is it that this thing that which is happening to the world is not happening to us? And that in itself is a gospel. That exhibition of power, that demonstration of raw power is what is called the, the gospel of the kingdom. Okay, of course, it includes the gospel of salvation of people coming into Christ, but it's more than that, okay? And when the church gets to that point where the church is ready, then the end will come. Verse 15, and when ye, shall, when, when ye therefore shall see the ab abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, who so read it, let him understand. Now Jesus is adding this, who so read it, let him understand, because he knows that not everyone will understand this. Of course, not everyone understands. So you think that the ones that read this thing, let them understand. Now, to understand verse 15, you must understand what is called the abomination of desolation, which was spoken by a prophet. When you read Daniel chapter 9, Daniel spoke about this. What is, what is abomination of desolation? Now, this also um, has, has two implications, okay? Um, what happened in the, in the time past and what is going to happen um, at the end times, okay? So we have, we have to look at the two very well. Now, anytime you, you see the word abomination in the KJV Bible, okay, it talks about idol or idols, okay? So what happened was that, as I said, after uh, the, the rebuilding of the temple, okay, what happened was that some people came to colonize the, um, in Jerusalem, okay? And what they did was that they went into the Holy of Holies, okay? You know the temple, it had the Holy of Holies. And what they did was that they set up an idol over there and they sacrificed pig onto that idol. Remember that the, the, the Israelites or the Jews, they hate pigs, okay? Or they don't, they don't like pigs. So for this person to go into the temple and sacrifice a pig over there, it was highly um, insulting, okay? And that is what is called the abomination of desolation. Now, remember that, as I said, the, right now, when you go to Israel right now, okay, the temple has been destroyed. The temple was destroyed in AD 70. But when you look at it carefully, they are now regathering things to rebuild the temple. Look at BBC, listen to news. They are, they are attempting to rebuild the temple. And after they finish rebuilding the temple, okay, realize that everything has been prophesied by Daniel and then um, Elijah and, and, I mean, uh, how do you call it, um, Ezekiel and, and, and the other prophets, okay? What's going to happen is that after they build the second temple, okay, what is going to happen is that there is going to be a second abomination of desolation. So he's telling them in verse 15, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, which had happened in the time past, okay, but he's telling them now that it's going to happen again. When you see it, now this is a bit eschatological, okay, this is talking about the future, okay, because when you saw that the destruction of Jerusalem was not preceded by an abomination of desolation, okay, so that, that, that means that it's going to tell us what is going to happen in the future. Now, what, what we must 
know from our perspective because all these things are addressing the Israelites, okay? It, it doesn't happen to us, okay? But we can listen to the news, watch CNN, okay? Look at what is happening in Israel, okay? And and tell how proximal we are to the the the, the end times, okay? So he's saying that when when you see that, let him that the one who is in Judea flee into the mountains, okay? Those that are on the mountain top top not come to take anything that is his. Neither let him which is in the field return to take his clothes, okay? Woe unto them that are with children, because what is going to happen is that they are now coming to destroy Jerusalem. So if you hear this instruction, run away. Obviously, now when you, when you go back into history, the AD 70 that I was talking about, where Jerusalem was destroyed, okay? Those people that were with Christ who heard this instruction, okay? Most of them fled, okay? And then they were saved. Now, that led to what is called the diaspora because most of these people um, now are in various countries, okay? So now when you go to Europe, you see that there are Jews over there. When you go to America, they are there. They are scattered everywhere. That, that was why Adolf Hitler, okay, in some time, okay, decided to kill the Jews, which is called the, 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 um, the Jewish um, Holocaust, okay? He decided to kill them because they were a lot, and he thought that they were coming to take over this country, okay? That was the instruction that these people had. They fled because of their understanding of this instruction, okay? Good. Verse 20, pray that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, okay? For then shall be the great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor shall they be ever, okay? Except those days be shortened, there shall no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, let those days be shortened. Now, let me, let me, let me pause here for, for a bit and explain some few things, okay? Um, I think we have 10 minutes more to go. We will we'll continue with this next week. Now, what he is telling them was that, as I said, that they were, they were going to destroy Jerusalem. Okay. And when that, that was the reason why, if you remember, when you were doing verse, um, chapter 21, okay, when Jesus saw Jerusalem, he wept over Jerusalem because he foresaw how they were going to, how that beautiful city was going to be destroyed. Okay. And he gave, a prophecy that the, the city of Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. And indeed, 40 years down the line, it was destroyed. Now, what is happening here is that Christ is also going to tell us what is going to happen at the end times. Okay, now, if what he prophesied about Jerusalem happened 40 years, exactly word for word, you see, they destroyed the stones. Not one of the stones was left. Okay, then what we should understand as Christians in our study of eschatology, what's going to happen to the end time, that it's indeed and in fact it will happen. Okay, so we should not just read it, of course. Um, it's that, oh, I mean, people say that, oh, if Jesus will come, why, why is he taking a long time? He's not yet in, blah, 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 and all, the, all those kind of things. But remember that it will eventually happen. It will eventually come to pass. That is the whole idea of eschatology. Okay, this, the study of the eschatology is to make us understand that whatever Christ has said will come to pass. And therefore, it should inform our decision as Christians. Going through the, the theology of eschatology is meaningless if you have not appreciated it, okay, for it to inform your decisions. How you walk. You walk with God and you walk righteously, okay, because you know that there is going to be judgments. And that informs your decision, okay? 
so so now let me let me just tell us what is going to happen in the end times okay next week we are going to continue but let, let me just give us a brief summary of what's going to happen to the end time now if if you remember carefully i told us last week that no i think last two weeks that the triumphant entry into jerusalem by christ okay was a kairos moment and because it was predicted in the bible that that exact time christ should be publicly seen as a king okay so now that initiated what, what is called the, the um, 69th week of Daniel, okay? We, we looked also into the, seven, the 70 weeks of Daniel, okay? Now there's what is called the 70 weeks of Daniel, okay? Now, um, I don't want to go much into detail, just to give us a bit, a bit um, um, information, okay? That we are in a period which is called the interval between the 69th week and the 70th week, okay? Just, just remember that as, as a biblical terminology. So now what we are in now, okay, is between the 69th week and the 70th week, okay? Don't, don't assume it's one week. That period over there is, is a gap period, which we don't know the length of it, okay? We don't know how long that is going to be. And that period is the period of the church, okay? So that period over there is the period that we find ourselves in now is the period between the 69th week and the 70th week, which is called the, 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 the dispensation of the church or the dispensation of grace, that is between the 69th week and the 70th week. We don't know how long that period is going to last. Okay, so this is an example of what is called a gap period in the Bible. When you read the Bible, there are 24 gap periods, okay? The first gap period is between Genesis 1 and Gen Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. Verse 2, the earth was, without, was void without form, okay? Good. Now... What we should know from that, I'm just giving an example to show you what, what a gap period is, okay? Um, what, what a gap period is, is a period of an unknown um, um, time, okay? We don't know how long that time is, okay? Now, remember that God does not create anything void or empty. So that means that when God created the heaven and earth, something happened between Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, okay? That led to the earth becoming void without form, formless, and the water covering everything. So between Genesis 1 verse 1 and Genesis 1 verse 2, we don't know how long that period is, okay? And of course, that is the period where Satan was overthrown and all those things happened, okay? But we don't know how long it was. So that is also a gap period. There are 24 of them, okay? Another gap period is, is the period between the 69th week and the 70th week. That is the time that we find ourselves in now, which we don't know how long it's going to take. But what we should be aware of is that the period of, that is the, the 70th week, whatever is going to happen there has been described in the Bible, okay? But what is going to initiate the 70th week is what is called the rapture of the church. So after the church is raptured, it's going to initiate or take the world into what is called the 70th week. But how long the period between the 69th week and the 70th week is going to last, we don't know, okay? So... And, and that's the time we find ourselves in. Any time from now, the rapture can happen, which will initiate the world into the 70th week. Now, what is going to happen in the 70th week? Okay, is that now the 70th week is one week. And as I, I told you earlier, that one week in the Bible is seven years. When you look at um, 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 the concept of weeks, okay, one week in the Bible is seven years. So when you look at the Old Testament, okay, and they say that. Um, 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 what's his name? Um, Isaac, 
gave birth to um, um, um what's his name? Um, Isaacson, the second one was Jacob, right? Jacob, yeah. When, when Jacob was serving the, the, the daughter for seven years, okay, when you look at the Old Testament, when you are using the KJV version, you see, see that and Isaac served a week. So a week signifies seven years. Okay, good. So now that seven years period is, so when, when you are looking in the, by when you are reading the book of Revelation, okay, from Revelation chapter five to Revelation to the, to the last chapter of the book of Revelation is just describing what is going to happen within this seven-year period. Okay, so then after that seven-year period, which people call the tribulation period, okay, then what is going to happen is that we are going to enter a period which is called the millennium. Now, let me, let me, let me explain something very, very well. Now, what, as I said, what initiates this seven-year period, which is the tribul tribulation period, okay, what is going to initiate the tribulation period is the rapture of the church. Now, the rapture of the church, okay, and as, I mean, ne next week, we will go into more detail, okay, but the rapture of the church actually is going to happen because Christ is coming down, okay, what's going to happen is that Christ is, is, is going to be in the cloud, then the church will be raptured to him. Remember that Christ will not set his foot on earth, but we are going to meet him in the cloud. That is the rapture. So, the rapture okay, is different from the second coming of Christ. I, I want us to, as Bible students, I mean, most people are confused, okay, but I want, I want us to be very, very careful with that. With the rapture, so the, there's different between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. If you don't take care, you just, as you are reading the Bible, just put the two together and then you are, you are confused. The rapture, the church goes to join Christ in the sky, okay? The second coming of Christ is when Christ actually comes down. And as I said, he will step his foot on Mount Olivet. That's when Christ comes. Okay, and when Christ comes down, he's going to rule physically on earth for a period of thousand years. And that period is what is called the millennium. Okay, the millennium age. Okay, so these two events, which is the rapture and the second coming, defines the border of the tribulation, which is the seven-year period. Okay, so that implies that during the tribulation, the church will not experience the tribulation. So when you are reading the book of Revelation and you are seeing all this tribulation and someone is sad, hey, God, there's going to be fire, there's going to be earthquake, there's going to be blah, 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 blah. Remember that the church by that time would have been ruptured and we are going to be with Christ in heaven. And in heaven, what is going to happen over there is what's called the marriage feast of the Lamb, where Christ is going to be reunited with his bride. So that's going to be heaven. So whilst this thing is happening in heaven, on earth, they are suffering what's called the tribulation period. Okay, next week, I'll go into details what is going to happen with, in that tribulation period. Okay, but after the, that seven years tribulation, what is going to happen is that now Christ is now coming down with his bride on earth to initiate the, the, um, um, the millennium period. Okay, so I want us to look carefully at the difference between the rapture and the second coming of Christ. The rapture is the church going to meet Christ in the cloud. Okay, then when you go and meet Christ in the in the cloud, remember that his foot shall not step on earth. He's 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 appearing in the cloud. We are going to to join him up there. Then we are going to heaven to have what is called the marriage feast of the lamp. Okay, and celebration and awards giving. Okay, the the bima seats judgments. Okay, the 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 crowns. The the, the five crowns that Paul talked about. The crown of life. The crown of righteousness. All those crowns are going to be given in heaven within that seven years period. After that, then the bride and Christ will come down, okay, 
and by the time he come down, remember that that seven year tribulation period will be over. So Christ will now come down. Okay, and when Christ comes down, we are going to start what is called the millennium period. Okay, the millennium period, which is a period of thousand years. Then that will end the, the world. Okay, then we enter into eternity. Okay, so I, I want us to take note of that. That's that's very, very well. So, but what, what we should know is that during the tribulation period, okay, during the tribulation period, what's going to happen is that the the Israelites or the the Jews will still be on it. So the tribulation is actually an attack on Israel. So though the whole world is going to, to experience the tribulation, okay, Israel is going to be where they are actually going to 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 to, to dwell on, okay. That's that's that that's that's um, where the maximum impact of the tribulation is going to happen. Next week, we are, we are going to go into details of what is going to happen within that seven years tribulation period, okay? And what's going to happen when the church is raptured to heaven. I've given us the summary. And what's going to happen at the millennium rule. So this that I have explained is what is called the pre-tribulation rapture. So some people also believe, okay? So they are, they are, Basically, um, 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 three three concepts when it comes to rapture. Okay, some people believe that okay the church is going to be raptured before the tribulation period. That means that the church is not going to experience the tribulation period. Of course, that is what I go with. Okay, that's what I have explained. Other people also believe that the church will be raptured in the midst of the tribulation. So we call that the mid-tribulation rapture. Okay, and the last one is saying that the church will go through the tribulation fully before the rapture. So that is what is called the post-tribulation rapture. Of course, there are scriptures to support all of these. Okay, but um, I, so I, I was also finding, I mean, I've studied eschatology for three years. Okay, I find it difficult to, to put all these things together. Why is that they are, they are contrasting views? Okay, because when you read a part, it, it looks as if the church is going to be raptured before the tribulation. When, when you look at next week, we will look at all the verses, okay? And now it looks like the church is going to be raptured within the tribulation. And another part, it looks like the church is going to be raptured um, um, after the tribulation, which is the post-trip um, um, rapture, okay? Until recently, I understood why all these things are there. What is happening is that we should know the difference between a saint, okay, who the Bible describes as a saint, and the church. You see, when you talk about a saint, okay, Abraham, David, and all those people in the Old Testament, they are saints, but they are not part of the church. Okay, I I, I hope that is clear. And then the church is, 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 is our dispensation now, okay. Then now the, the Jews, okay, the Jews, remember that they are also not part of the church, but some of them are going to repent and, and, and acknowledge Christ. Because if, if we, I mean, those of you that were paying attention, when, when you were looking at the, um, 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 I think, um, Matthew 21, the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, okay? We saw something over there that Christ said that um, he will only return to them after they acknowledge that he is Lord, okay? So they used to, there is hope for them. Some of them can repent and, and they also enter into sin. So when you talk about sins, all the righteous people that lived before Christ, the church and then the Jews that will be saved, okay? They are all part of the saints. Now, re remember this, that, as I said, the Jews are going to experience tribulation. That implies that during the tribulation, the Jews that are going to accept Christ Jesus will also be raptured. So it looks like there's a rapture occurring during the tribulation, which is the mid-tribulation rapture. And that is 
those Jews that accept Jesus as their Lord and personal Savior. Okay, that is why when when you look at still, I mean, we've not gotten there yet, but let, let let let's look at this. I think that was the 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 verse we we posted. Okay, so verse thirty-seven. Okay, because he's saying that the tribulation is going to be as the days of Noah. But as in the days of Noah, so shall the, 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 the coming of the Son of Man be, okay? We will look at this next week, but just to, to emphasize the point, okay? Remember that someone like Enoch, okay? Enoch was raptured before the flood came. So it looks as if Enoch was raptured before the, the flood came. So Enoch um, will, will represent the church, okay? Which is going to be something like a pre-tribulation rapture, okay? So that means that the church is going to be raptured before the flood okay because here we are using the flood as 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 the tribulation okay so enoch was raptured before the flood came so we, we see here someone being raptured, raptured before the flood okay and then um noah and his people were were saved during the the rapture okay so that is i mean sorry we're saved during the, the flood okay so that will imply what is called being saved during the, the tribulation period okay and that is the, the the Jews that will accept or anyone that accepts Jesus Christ during the period of the tribulation. Okay, so so it's it it actually makes sense why some scriptures will support the rapture before the tribulation, rapture during the tribulation, and rapture after after the tribulation. Okay, because we are talking about rapture of the saints, not the church. The church is going to be raptured before the tribulation. So this is a summary of a, a summary of eschatology. Next week we are going to continue. This and then you add the chapter 25, which is going to talk about the, the virgins, okay? The parable of the of, of the virgins. And they've always explained to us as it's meaning pre preparing, okay? They will say, Oh, proper preparation prevents poor performance. Okay, so you have to prepare very well. But um, of course, that that's a, a lesson we can learn, but there is something more deeper about the which we are going to look at. Who was having the wedding? Okay, the wedding was between. Um, the man and the bride, okay? And who are these, these virgins we are talking about? Who are the wise ones? Who are the foolish ones? We are going to see that in chapter 25, okay? So, so far, we've, we've seen Matthew chapter 24, and we've, we have introduced us to the subject of eschatology. This, this is an introduction, an overview, a summary of the subject of, of eschatology, okay? And what's, what we, we, we have studied so far is that, um, 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 how do you call it? That, um, there's going to be rapture anyways, okay? But between now and the rapture, we don't know how long that's going to be. So it's going to be like Noah's flood. Noah has been saying that there's going to be flood. There's going to be flood. How many years? But there was no flood. So the people were, if you look at this very well, um, chapter 38, they were drinking, they were eating, they were giving themselves unto marriage, they were going to school and all that. And, and they had completely forgotten about the prophecy that the floods were coming until the floods came. And that is the, the time we find ourselves in now. We are doing our own things. We are going to school. We are studying. We are marrying, okay, wedding parties and other things. And of course, as Christians, we know that um, Christ will come. But we are, I mean, who, who actually, I mean, thinks about Christ coming? Okay, We just go about our normal um, activities, okay? And sometimes we are, we are, we've completely forgotten that Christ is coming, okay? But but re remember that as in the days of Noah, so shall the the, 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 the coming of the Son of Man be. It's going to be like a thief. So at every point in time, we should be ready. We should prepare ourselves. We should ensure that if we, we are raptured to heaven right now, we have a good standing with God. Okay? The talents that God has given unto us, 
we, we've made good use of it. The skills that God has given to us, we've made good use of it. We've, we've, we've gone out to preach because the, the great commission was that we should go out there to preach. Those that do that are going to receive crowns and rewards in heaven. We don't want to be in the, I mean, you don't want to be in heaven without any crown. Okay, you have to do something for God now. So that when you go to heaven, God will say that this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That is the reason why we, we study eschatology. Okay, aside all the details, okay, as I always say, everything that I have I have described might not be the exact, okay, it, it might not be exact, okay, because this is from, from what we know from the scripture. Maybe it's going to be different, but nevertheless, we are studying this so that it will inform our decision that Christ will be coming soon, okay. Now, now the, there is, there is a, a, a greeting that the, the early church fathers used to greet, okay, they will, whenever they meet someone, they will say Maranatha, which means even so come Lord Jesus. And they were living every day as if Christ was coming the next day. They were, they, they were, they were conscious of that. And even that it's been almost 2000 years ago, but yet at that time, they were so conscious of the second coming of Christ than we are now, though we are 2000 years closer than they were. I don't know when the second coming, I mean, the rapture and the second coming of Christ will be. But what I know is that though Paul was, live, was preaching as if Christ was coming the next day, we as a church in this dispensation, no matter how long that time is, we are 2,000 years closer than Paul was. Okay, and that should, should give us an idea. There's going to be a rapture. And don't, don't um, be sad, okay? When you read the book of Revelation, don't be afraid that e, there's going to be tribulation. E, what's going to happen? The mark of the beast. E, and, uh, you know, they are, they are going to say, what, I mean, if you don't have the mark of the beast, you can't buy food. And all those funny, funny things. Remember that. If you are part of the church, you are going to be raptured. You are not going to experience all these things. Okay, you are going to be with God in heaven. We have the marriage feast of the Lamb, and we shall come with Christ on earth after that seven-year period is over to reign on earth. And that's why the Bible says some of you will be given kingdoms, ten kingdoms, five kingdoms, and other things to to reign and rule on. That is the, the subject of eschatology, and it's always important to study it and learn it very well, so that you, as you are living your daily life. All the decisions that you, you make, okay, you are you are eternally minded. You don't make decisions ba based on this temporal moments. Okay, I think we will end here. Next week, we will continue with the, with the next part of, I mean, the, the, the second half of Matthew 24, and then we will add Matthew 25 to it, okay? So God, God bless you all for joining us this morning. Um, I, I have an exam to go and write in the next 20 minutes, okay? But I think this is also important. Okay, so... Um, um, God bless you. I don't think there will be any questions today because I don't have time. And if you have any questions, you can send it on the page that we have, okay? And I would um, address most of the questions later on when I come back. And next week, too, if, if you have your questions, you can, you can actually... Um, I think that there, there are some questions over here. Someone was asking when the first abomination happened, okay? Of course, it happened um, um, after the, the second temple was, was built, okay? After Nehemiah and co built, rebuilt the second temple, okay? We saw that um, that was when, I mean, some periods, I don't know the exact years, but some periods after that, um, that was when the first abomination of desolation occurred. But there's going to be a second one where this time is going to be the Antichrist, and that's going to be within the seven years period, okay? The Antichrist himself, he will go into the temple that they are going to build in Jerusalem, and he also perform an abomination of desolation over there. 
and everything matches. Everything accurate, perfect. So you can just decide to live your life anyhow, and then you don't believe in scriptures and everything. Huh. When it's happening, it will shock you. I, I was saying, I was telling someone that. Okay, I, I, I was telling someone that the, the the coming of Christ will shock even us as Christians. Okay, though we know all these things, but when it actually happens, it will shock all of us. Okay, so um, God bless you. Okay, um, can can someone pray with us? Last week, no one prayed. Okay, let me call. Okay, Irabna, Irabna, you are here. Can you pray with us? Amen. Amen. God bless you all for joining us today.